Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. We are in the uh, series called Uncensored where we're talking about marriage, relationships, love, sex, dating. We're covering it at all. And let me throw this out there from the start. If you are in a dating relationship or you are, are, are thinking about dating or close to maybe beginning a dating relationship, I am coming after you today. You need to know that. If you are engaged, I'm coming after you today because there are some things that God gives us in his word on how we are to function in our relationships. Now, this will be for everyone. If you are married and you have, have children you know, that are teens or whatever, this is a word that you're gonna need to keep in front of them as they begin this journey of building relationships. And I'll start it by saying this. Um, how many of you know there are few things in life that I think personally can hinder like traveling and, and adventures than like packing and carrying too much baggage? You know what I'm talking about? I went to Israel for 10 days and I took a fanny pack and a book bag and that was it. Like I pride myself on being an expert packer. Roll that stuff up real tight shove it in there. I take um, laundry detergent with me. They make these little packets. I'll wash stuff in the sink. You know, I will. I'll just reuse that. In fact, I will take shirts that have sweat stains in the pits and leave them because that's how I pack. I'm not coming back with that stuff. I'm just going to leave it wherever I go. Now, I pride myself on that. My wife, on the other hand, when it comes to packing for trips, like if we're gone for two days, we're checking at least two bags. It's just the way it works. With her, And maybe a lot of us would like to travel light when it comes to, to, to baggage and, and, and going places, but what about in your relationships? Have you been traveling light? Or have you been carrying baggage from one relationship to the next to the next? Because I think all of us in this room would agree that we have, have carried some things into our relationship that if we did not have to carry we would have been better off. Not that God can't use it, not that God can't cover it, but there are things in our life, if we would have learned early on, come on, we would have been better off. Are you with me? All right, can we agree? All right, so Genesis chapter 29. I'll give you a little crash course where we are going to jump in today. Uh, this is about Abraham's son Jacob, or grandson Jacob. Does anybody remember Abraham, father Abraham? Had many sons, and many sons had? Because I am one of them. So let's just right here. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that stuff. Like if you have no idea what we were just singing or talking about, then you're probably better off for it. Um, but Abraham was a father of the faith, and he had a, a grandson named Jacob. And when we jump into the story, Jacob was a man on the run. And he's on the run because his older brother, by 30 seconds, Esau, was trying to kill him. Why was he trying to kill him? Because from the beginning, Jacob was trying to rip his brother off, like right from the start, even out of the womb. Jacob was grabbing the heel of his brother Esau, trying to pull him back so he could be first. And so Jacob's name actually means heel grabber. Uh, he's, it means deceiver. It means trickster, right? This is, this is Jacob, and he really lived up to that, that name. His brother Esau, his name means hairy and red, because he looked like Chewbacca coming out of the womb, all right? That's how hairy he was. In fact, he was so hairy that when Jacob uh, tried to steal the birthright uh, from his, 
his brother Esau and going before his father who was blind, he took goat skin and like strapped his arms with this goat skin so that if his father touched him, he would know that it was Esau instead of Jacob. So that's how hairy he was. Um, and he stole this birthright because he was shifty. In fact, he, he tempted his brother with a bowl of soup. He had come in from hunting and, and he was all tired and Jacob had just made this bowl of soup and he gave up his birthright, listen, for a bowl of soup. Now, before you, you hate on Esau and think, how could he do that? We do the same thing. A lot of us in our life, we will give up something that is valuable and important for immediate gratification. We, we don't do very well with delayed gratification in our world. And so we'll do the same thing. We'll, we'll, we'll get something immediate instead of the thing that's valuable later on in the future. That's a word for somebody. And so Esau has had enough. He's like, enough is enough. I'm coming after my brother. In fact, I'm going to kill him. Now, I have brothers, and we've said that before to one another, but we didn't mean it. He actually means it. And so Jacob's mom, um, Rebecca, she loved Jacob. Jacob was kind of a mama's boy. Jacob was the one, obviously, in the kitchen making soup. He'd be the one on Pinterest searching for recipes, you know, to try out. This is Jacob. Esau his father loved Esau, and I know we're not supposed to play favorites with our children, but we all do. Come on, parents, we got favorites. His father loved Esau because Esau was a man's man. He was out there hunting, punching deer in the face. Like He was, he was just doing dude stuff, and so uh, he says he's going to kill Jacob. Jacob's mom finds out about it, and she comes up with a plan to send him to her homeland to find a wife for himself. And so he goes off with the hopes that by the time he comes back, Esau will have cooled down, will now have a level head, and he won't be trying to kill him. And so where we pick up the story, Jacob is going back to his mother's homeland to find a wife. Are you there? Is everybody with me? Tracking? You're like, nah, not really. That's all right. We're going to get into it. Genesis 29, 16. Here we go. It says he's hanging out with a guy named Laban. Laban, by the way, uh, has two daughters, and he falls in love with one of them. And check this out. Laban is also his mother's brother, so that means it's his uncle. So his daughters are his first cousins. So that's happening right off the bat. Come on, Titusville, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. In fact, the whole kissing cousins thing is like the least of the problems. As we're about to read in this story, it gets really, it gets really bad really quickly. Verse 16 says, now Laban, check it out, had two daughters. The older daughter was named Leah, and the younger one was named Rachel. There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes. Now, people aren't 100% sure what is meant by that, but most scholars and theologians would agree, and it means that um, it's a nice way of saying she wasn't super good looking. That's what they're saying. Not a lot going on up there, not a lot of sparkle in her eye, right? Let's just leave it at that. If your name is Leah, this is not a knock against you. And we know that that's what they mean because the next part of the verse uh, tells us that because it says, wait, what can we say about Leah? Not much, not a lot of sparkle in her eyes. But Rachel, check it out. She, on the other hand, had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. And so that's what they were saying. Verse 18, since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her father, I'll work for you for seven years if you'll give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. Agreed, Laban replied, then look at this. I'd rather give her to you than anyone else. That's sweet. That's romantic. 
He says, stay and work with me. So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel, but, and this is a great verse for the guys to remember, to highlight, to underline, seven years to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. Girl, seven years? Like a few days. Now, just when we thought he was all noble, keep reading, finally, the time came for him to marry her. I have fulfilled my agreement, Jacob said to Laban. Now give me my wife so I can sleep with her. Let's go. He's all sentimental. I just want to sleep with her. Let's, let's do this thing. Um, so no one's perfect. So keep reading. So Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood and prepared a wedding feast. Now, this must have been like the wedding of all weddings. Uh, it must have gotten rowdy. Must have had an open bar. Wine is flowing. Colby, how do you know? Because what happens next? Verse 23. But that night, when it was dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob, and he slept with her. Not Rachel. Not the one he spent seven years working for. Leah. So how much did a brother have to drink in order to sleep with the sister of his wife on her wedding night. Are you with me? And then verse 24, look at this. It's kind of thrown in there. Leah had given, or Laban had given Leah a servant, Zilpah, to be her maid. I'm like, can we just talk about the other thing that just happened? I don't even know why that's in there. Verse 25, but when Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah. Can you imagine this moment? Sleeping in the tent or whatever, exhausted from the night before, wiping the sleep off your eyes, like shaker. Hey, honey, sweetie, we did it. Seven years. We made it. We're married. And she turns over, is like, what just happened? Because what he says, what have you done to me? Jacob raised at Laban. I worked seven years for Rachel. Then watch what he says. Why have you, say that next word. Why have you tricked me? Notice the schemer has fallen into a scheme. The trickster has been tricked. The deceiver deceived. The player has been played. <laughs> And I want us to understand that although culture has changed, obviously, and things are very different, the exact same thing could happen to you. You could think you married Rachel and wake up one day to realize you married Leah. And not because some shady father-in-law kind of tricked you, but you wake up and realize what was on the package, on the outside of the package, was not what was promised when you opened it up. Because in relationships, write this down, what you see is not always what you get. And can I tell you something? It's easier to marry a stranger than you might think it is. Which is why when we approach dating and relationships, we need to do it through a lens of, of faith because the most important parts of you, the most important parts of people are the parts that are not seen, are the parts that are invisible, talking about character, talking about, about integrity, talking about past experiences in their life, the parts that aren't seen. Come on, ladies, you could, you could think you're marrying a doctor named Jekyll, and you move in, and you get things you know, undone just to realize one day you actually married Mr. Hyde instead, which is why it's so important that you and I see people 
the way that God sees people. There, there was a story in the Old Testament of Samuel. Samuel was a prophet of God, the man of God, and God had given him the task of anointing the, the new king, the second king of the nation of Israel, because Israel had a king already in Saul. Saul was the first king. Uh, Saul was handsome and tall, the Bible says, uh, but that was about all for Saul, uh, which, by the way, you could find somebody with bulging you know, biceps and a beautiful face, and they could still have an ugly heart. You need to know that. And so Samuel went, went on this journey to, to find the next king, and God said, hey, he's going to come from the house and line of Jesse. So go to Bethlehem where Jesse is, and so he goes there, and he thinks, man, this is, this is going to be tough. Jesse brings out seven of his boys and lines them up, and right away Samuel's like, actually, this is going to be easier than I thought. That's the one. And he was the obvious choice. He was big. He was strong. He was chiseled. I mean, this guy was, this guy was it, and God whispers to his heart in 1 Samuel 16, 7, and says, uh-uh, that's not him. Don't be fooled by his outward appearance or his physical nature, he says, I have refused him. In other words, I have rejected him, not because what's on the outside, but because what's on the inside, the part that is not seen. In fact, God says this, he goes on to say, I don't see like man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God sees what can't be seen. So when it comes to dating and relationships, we need to see like God Sees. And ultimately, if you know the story, the one that was chosen was not even invited to the draft in the first place, David. And David was chosen, um, wasn't there because the father was so sure that he was not going to be the next king, kept him out in the field tending sheep. And so finally, David gets brought in into the, the mix, and Samuel goes, that's it. God speaks to him, says, hey, that's it. That's the guy. He's not the guy that you thought based on his appearance or based on everything that he has to offer on the outside, but he's the guy, which is a word for somebody today that has a checklist of all they think he is going to be or all they think she is going to be. He's gonna gotta be six foot three, 192 pounds, make you know, a certain amount of money you know, a year and all that kind of stuff. Could it be that the list that you have of the person that you think you need when the person God has for you is not even on your radar because your list is of such insignificant qualities that don't matter, that don't last. God looks at the, the heart. So we need to learn to see the people like God sees people because what you see, come on, is not always what you get, which is why I write this down. The easiest way to experience regret is to rush. You wanna be tricked? You wanna wake up one day and it's Leah instead of Rachel, then by all means, rush. Just rush. And what's interesting, though, about not rushing into relationships is that not rushing makes perfect sense. In fact, you've probably told people, hey, don't rush. Don't rush. Take it slow. Make sure that you, you know, like, like don't, don't rush into something that's such a huge deal as is relationships. But how many of you know the problem in dating is that we're not thinking, not thinking clearly anyway. And it's not that dating is deceitful and dating is evil or no good, but dating is all about putting your best foot forward. Every single one of us. Like no one shows up to the first date and says, hey, before we get started, I snore, I chew my nails, I don't lift up the seat when I pee, and so you just need to, nobody does that on their first date. 
right? They try to show you the best parts of themselves. If dating is sales, right, marriage is the close. And so what you're trying to do is put your best foot forward. But if we actually stop to think about it and go, you know what, I could trick you for a while, but I can't trick you forever. Eventually, the, the real me is going to show up. Eventually, I'm not going to be able to suck in the gut very long. Come on, guys. Eventually, you're going to find out that I'm wearing Spanx under all of this. Eventually, you're going to find out that when I get angry, I turn into the Hulk. Eventually, you're going to see that I have a short fuse, and I, and I don't treat people kindly all the time because, right? Like, we hide those parts of us. And so dating slowly, dating slowly gives you time to expose their true colors. So why do we rush? Why is it so easy to rush when you think you have found the one? You think you found the person God has for you. Here's why I write it down. Because we misinterpret infatuation as love. And it's the easiest thing in the world to do, by the way. Because when you're infatuated with someone, come on, you lose your dang mind. Infatuation has a powerful effect on people. We say things like they are crazy in love or, or love drunk or, you know, everything is just music is in the air. Like, all we want to do is, is be together. I don't want to do anything except be with you. I don't want to go to class. I just, I just want to be with you. I don't want to go to work. I just want to be with you. In fact, when Kristen and I first started dating, it was infatuation. It was like, I'm not going to class. And that's why I had to repeat classes over and over because I didn't want to go to class. I just wanted to be with her. And some of you are like, I don't want to go to work. You know, we just, we're just in love. We don't even need money We just because we have love. You can't pay the bills with love. Pay rent with love. It sounds amazing, right? And it sounds beautiful until you try it. It has to be more than this, this feeling. And there's nothing wrong with feelings, but it has to be more than that. Feelings are good, but they're not enough. And so you need to stay the course with someone long enough and not rush long enough to where the the butterflies start to to fade to wear off and some of you the pushback is um well I think we should always feel butterflies in the relationship in the marriage I just always want to feel the butterflies some of you have said that do you know the lifespan of a butterfly I'm serious two to four weeks then it's dead it's gone and the reality is no one can sustain that kind of high forever. Marriage is a marathon, not a sprint. Are you with me? So take it slow, take it slow, take it slow. Get past the, 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 the season of, no, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. Get past all that to the place where you start to see them how God sees them, faults and all, to where now you are committing to love them through who they really are, not who they pretend to be. And the only way you know is if you don't rush. If you take it slow, don't rush, don't rush. And by the way, if you make the mistake of taking it to a physical level early on, you just jump right into bed with each other, can I tell you, you are prolonging the infatuation phase because sex is both binding and blinding, which is a great thing for marriage, by the way. You need that for marriage. When you're upset at one another and you're fighting, you know, Makeup sex can be awesome, all right? And it keeps you together, it keeps you attached. But you can prematurely bind and blind yourself to someone because you've, you've had that component into the relationship. That's why we've all seen that guy or that, 
that girl who would say, um, everyone in her life is saying, they're no good for you, they're no good for you, but they refuse to listen, right, because they're blinded and they've binded themselves prematurely. So during that infatuation phase, like you can't trust you. You can't trust you, you can't trust your, your feelings, and again, feelings are great, but you can't build a life on feelings. So let's make this practical. If you're in that season of life, I want you to ask yourselves early on these questions. Number one, what do the trusted, godly voices in my life think of this relationship? If you're a parent and you have children that are teens or beginning this kind of season of their life, ask them like to, to write this down. What, what trusted voices, what do they say about this relationship? So don't ask your cousin who's been divorced you know, four times. Don't ask your girlfriend who sleeps with everything you know, that it moves. Don't do that. Ask your trusted, godly friends. What do they think of this relationship? And by the way, if everybody is saying the same thing, there's a reason. If everybody's saying, man, I don't like the, the effect that they're having on you. I don't like the fact that they're pulling you away from, from church. I don't like the fact that, that no one else can break in. I don't like the fact that you guys have created a, a couple cult to where no one else is you know, involved in, and you can't be friends with this person or that person. And oftentimes people will say, well, they're just not for us. Everybody hates us. They just don't want us to survive. That's stupid. You are not Romeo. She is not Juliet. Everybody's not against you. Are you telling me that your family and friends who love you have all of a sudden don't want what's best for you in your life? Listen to the trusted, godly voices that you have. Then ask yourself these questions as well. Where did you meet? And what bait did you use to attract them with? Was it tender? Did it start with a night? Was it farmersonly.com? <laughs> Was it the bar? Was it the club? And then ask what bait did you use to attract them with because they're going to have an appetite for whatever it was that you used to hook them in the first place. I talked a little bit about that last week. All I'll say is, if you don't like what you are attracting, then you need to look at where you're fishing and what you're using as bait. You just need to make sure. And I, I, in fact, I think a great place to find a godly man or a godly woman is right here in this room. I'm serious. In fact, if you're single and you believe that, raise your hand. Now hold it up and look around. Keep it up, keep it up. I'm serious, I don't know what else to do. I'm being honest, like look around. There's other people that believe that too. And if you don't see them in this, this service, like we have four of them. So come back Saturday night, check out 8.30, check out 10, like just go. Like seriously, this is a great place to meet a godly man or a godly woman. Ask this question too, is this relationship honoring God? Is it honoring God sexually, spiritually? Are you taking something from someone that does not belong to you, that perhaps belongs to their future husband or wife? You're sleeping together early on. And I know some people say, well, Kobe, I got you there. Because yes, we're living together and yes, we're having sex, but we're going to get married one day. So joke's on you. We're gonna get married, so I'm just getting mine now, getting in advance. Actually, here's what you're doing right now. You are demonstrating to that person that you are willing to compromise God's boundaries and God's rules and laws that he's given us in his word. And so you are also teaching them that one day when you get married, because how many of you know there will still be temptation later on, that one day when you get married and she's six months pregnant, 
or, or you go off to, to that, that work, that business trip someplace, that you, because you're willing to compromise now in your relationship, what makes you think that you won't compromise later on? You're just demonstrating to them what kind of future husband or wife you will be. And I'm not saying any of this is easy. And I'm not saying we won't make mistakes. But the physical side can quickly become a counterfeit form of intimacy. It's not real intimacy. And this is why I'm begging our our vertical youth, our, our students in middle school and high school, are your relationships now honoring God? We're just kissing and stuff. And rubbing each other. Oh, where are you rubbing? But do you think that's honoring God? Because here's what making out is like. Making out is like you're getting in a car, and you turn on the ignition, and you rev the gas. And then you turn it off, and you don't drive anyplace. And can I tell you, no one wants to do that for very long. Like, you want to drive. And so that's what making out is. And I don't think that's, that's honoring to God if all you're doing is getting in the car, getting hot and heavy, fogging up the windows with no idea of where you're going. You can't do it. Is it, honoring, is it honoring God? And above all else, ask this question, is this person in love with Jesus? Not are they willing to sit through an hour of church with you on a weekend because they don't want you to break up with them. Did it just get awkward for somebody? Because people will do that. So I'm not asking that question. I'm asking, are they sold out, committed to following Jesus? Because if not, you should end it immediately. Kobe, I don't know if I could do that. They're so close. They're so close to, to getting to know Jesus. They're so close to, to being saved. You know, I might be their only hope. Can I just remind you of something? You are not the Holy Spirit, and it is not your job to do that. So what you need to do is say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like, but I have been blurring this, this whole thing by compromising, and I'm gonna stand before God, and you're gonna stand before God, and so this right now is not for us, and you need to break up with them. And if you're not sure if they've actually made a real commitment to following Jesus during the relationship, then you should break up anyway. And you should watch and see if they will stay committed to Jesus and to coming to church without you as the carrot. Without you in the equation, are they committed to following Jesus? Why would we do that? Because this is what God's word says. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, don't team up. Somebody say team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? He's saying you can't. Don't team up. Like if you're going two different places, you think that that's that's going to work? In fact, I need some some people to help me out. You two right here. Will you guys help me out? Just just jump up here real quick. Come on. I don't know the relationship. I don't know if you guys are dating, maybe whatever, but it doesn't matter. Come on up here. Let's welcome them. They're nervous, so come on. (laughs) It'll be easy. It'll be easy. Come stand right here. Anybody remember field day? Back in field day in school, you would do a three-legged race. All right, you guys are going to do a three-legged race. All right, what is your name? Uh, John. John and? Danielle. Danielle. All right, John and Danielle, stand next to each other. Gilson's going to tie you up. All right. Just the legs. Just the legs. So think of it in terms of this. Like, what if, 
like you are attached to somebody. This is what Paul is saying. Don't be unequally yoked or don't, don't team up with unbelievers. So now you guys are a team. Let's come over here to the middle as best you can. I got you, I got you. Three-legged race. All right, here we go. We're gonna count them down, but here's what you need to know, John. Your finish line is over here. Danielle, your finish line is over here, okay? On the count of three, just go for it. Here we go. One, two, three. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. You're fine. You're fine. <laughs> but this is what it's like. This is what Paul is saying. What if John says, you know what? I want to, I want to tithe. Like, I, I, I love God. God has given me so much. I want to demonstrate that he's first in my life. So I'm going this way. Come on. We're tithing. We're, we're, we're doing that. And Daniel's like, no, 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 sucker. My money is my money. I worked hard for my money. Like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. We're going, this is what happens in relationships. Or what if he said, you know what? I'm gonna use my gifts. God created me for a certain thing. He's made me on purpose. I got a purpose, so I'm gonna serve in the house. And she's like, that's fine with you, but for me, my time is my time. Like, I'm not doing that. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm going this way. My finish line's over here. Or what if, let's get more serious, if he said, I want to raise my kids one day to love God, to know their purpose, to know why God's created them. So my finish line is here. My, my goal is to send them off into the world as world changers for the cause of Jesus. Yeah. But she's saying, that's ridiculous. I don't want my kids to think in some fairy tale, believe in some fairy tale of God or Jesus. We're going this way instead. This is what might even be indicative of some of your relationships in this room. This is why Paul says, don't do it. This does not work. You guys come over here. Let's give him a hand. We'll help him. Gilson will untie you or not. But that's what he's saying. And this is what we try to do. We are teaming up with people going two different directions, two different finish lines in our life. And he says, it will not work. It will not work. And from what I hear and from what I've experienced firsthand, divorce is expensive on all levels, not just financially. It costs you. And so God gives us direction in his word and guidance in his spirit for a reason, because what we see is not always what we get. Here's the last thing I want you to write down, and that is this. That's why it's so important that becoming the right one is more important than finding the right one. Because when you're not becoming who God has called you to become, you will attract and look for the type of person you should not be looking for because you do not know who you are. In Christ, you don't. And so instead of putting your focus and energy, you know, on, on finding the right one, put your energy on becoming the right one. What I've discovered is when I selfishly seek what I want, like I end up, you know, often getting things that I don't need. But when I seek out what God wants for my life, I end up getting both, like what, what God wants for me, but also ultimately what I wanted in the end, which is why Jesus said, hey, seek first in Matthew 6. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things. He says, everything else, put it up on the screen. Seek first in everything else. Somebody say everything. Do you think relationships are included in everything? Yeah. He says, seek that first above all else and then everything else will be added to you. If you're seeking God first, which is, by the way, what Jacob's um, dad Isaac did in Genesis chapter 20, 24. He was simply in the fields, working the field that God had given him when one day the Bible says he looked up 
and there was Rebekah walking into the field. So he was working the ground that God gave him. He wasn't out playing the field. He was out harvesting in his own field. This is a word for somebody here. Listen, you don't have to go out playing the field. Like you just work what God has given you. And every now and then lift up your eyes. Look around, see if someone has stepped foot into your field. This is where God says, hey, run the race marked out for you. So every now and then lift up your head, see who's running next to you. That could be the person that God's bringing into your, your life. Seek first though God and he will add the spouse. He will add the one into your life. And I think we can all agree that what Jacob is experiencing in his life right now is sort of, you know, with the whole mess with Rachel and Leah, is kind of his life and the way he's lived boomeranging back on him. He's, he's now reaping what he sowed because he sowed deceit, deception, discord, all that stuff. And this is what Galatians 6, 7, band, you can come help me. Shut this down. It says, do not be deceived. God won't be mocked. Because whatever you sow, you're going to reap. Jacob, the deceiver, is now reaping what he sowed. And so it will be in your life as well. It's a spiritual principle that whatever we sow, we'll reap. That the way that we live our lives, our past has an impact on our, our future. It follows us into our future. And so right before this verse there's one more in Galatians 6, 5. I want this to stay up on the screen while I finish. It says that everyone will have to carry their own load. So when it comes to sowing and reaping, guess what? Everything that you've sowed in your life, you're going to have to carry it. You're going to have to carry your own load. Um, you're probably wondering why this, this chest is up here. This, this is going to represent something that used to be a beautiful tradition back in the day the families that had young daughters, they would have something called a hope chest. And the hope chest, you know, would be made of cedar. It was big. And, and they would put things in it. In fact, it would just sit out in the house. And it's actually a beautiful tradition because um, it, it would be a, a symbol of, hey, when you get married, we're going to help prepare you for that day. And so in this hope chest, we're going to put things in there that will help with your future marriage. And so they might, you know, they might see some some limit linens or blankets, they might throw that in there. They might, they might put some other things in there like, like bowls, practical things that you're going to need for your marriage one day and put that in there and some plates. And, you know, it's kind of like the, our modern day equivalent is, is the, the, the gift registry. Like we go to Kohl's with a gun and we scan things that we want, right? So that's kind of what, what this is. And they might put things in there like, like the family Bible and say, hey, you know, we, we raised you on God's word and we want that to be the foundation of your relationship. Put pillows in there and maybe they'll put picture frames in here saying that, hey, one day, you know, you're gonna put pictures of your life and the life you've created in these frames and, and our hope is that you have a beautiful life and, and this is also where the dowry would go, by the way. Like money they'd give to the bride. Come, This is like a GoFundMe for this couple. Like they'd, to help them get started in their life together, that would go in here as well. But then also, the mother's wedding dress, saying that, hey, maybe one day when you get married, you'll also wear the dress, and then she would take that dress and put it in the hope chest for her daughter one day. And it's a very beautiful, meaningful 
thing in a young girl's life who's growing up looking forward to the future. But what I want us all to know is in addition to this and getting set for marriage one day, we're all packing another box as well. Will you bring that box out? This is an invisible box. And this is coming with us too. From one relationship into the next, what's in this box? This box is loaded with the decisions and choices that we have made in our single years. So that goes in the box. And so in this box, we have things like, uh, let's see. Remember that, that trip to, to Vegas? <laughs> for business, but things got a little crazy, a little out of hand and rolled the dice, made some money, but, but that wasn't all. We also met somebody and she came back to the room with us. But what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, except for the fact that it doesn't. And so those go in the box as well. Or what about, what about prom? Come on. Prom, prom was gonna be it, high school. That was gonna be the day that I was gonna give myself over to him or she was gonna, you know, have sex with me and, and we were gonna be together forever except the fact that you weren't. But it still goes in the box. It still goes in the box. And then, and then of course, you know, that trip, you know, during spring break or whenever we went down to Mardi Gras and I don't even remember Mardi Gras. That got a little crazy and... Then there was Cancun. Can't remember much of that trip as well. Or, you know, in the meantime, you know, before I meet the one, I have, have a husband or whoever, at least I can, I can do some reading. And it can fill that emotional space. This book right here is called Too Many Husbands. And so at least now, you know, I, I, this can fill the void in my life until, so that goes in the box. And so this box continues to get heavier and heavier and whatever we pack, we're gonna carry. And then there was this night, I don't even know what that's about, but it goes in this box. Maybe it's an internet porn addiction. Maybe it's something else in your life. It goes in the box. We carry it with us wherever we go and what happens is hey, you might not see this, but if we get together and we get married one day, you gotta know this is coming with me. And here's what you need to know about this. This, because this stuff, this is why it's important. When I get lonely, when I feel inadequate, this is how I handle it. I'm gonna go back to this and go back to this. Or when I get feel like in the relationship, you are not meeting my needs emotionally. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back into this because I know that this worked for me in the past. Or if I just need to escape, I'm gonna go to this. And so we put this in the box saying, hey, you just need to know that when you say I do and I say I do, like my baggage becomes your baggage and your baggage becomes my baggage. Colby, can't you just tell us the truth? You're such... You're so dramatic, you're a typical preacher. Can't God cover this? Like, can't I live however I want to live in my single life? Can't I live and sow my wild oats, you know, in my, my college years or, or high school years and God will, will cover this and forgive me? Won't he do that, won't he? Yes, yes he will, absolutely, 100%.
But can I also tell you something? He would much rather be blessing you and using you than forgiving you for all the stuff that he's already told us not to do in his word because he knew it would hurt us and harm us. He would much rather be using you than forgiving you. And there is a big difference, by the way, between forgiveness and the consequences that remain. And it is a really bad idea, listen to me, hey, hey, it's a really bad idea to live like hell today with hopes that you'll be forgiven tomorrow. That's a bad idea, that's not a great way to live. But for those of you that would say, well, what do I do then? Because this has been my life. This is what I've packed. Like I had such attention in this message because on one hand, like I, I want to tell you the hope that you can have. And on the other hand too, I don't want the, the young people and students and those in dating relationships to think that, well, it's all gonna work out in the end. It's gonna be fine. We're gonna be forgiven, which you can be. But if this is you right now and you'd say, man, I don't know if there's any hope for me. Can I tell you a beautiful story? that the Bible outlines in, in Exodus about the way you and I approach God in our brokenness, in our failure. This is what God says. God says, I want you, speaking to the nation of Israel, and this is echoed in Hebrews as well. He says, I want you to take a box and I want you to fill it with all the ways you failed me. In fact, what I want you to do is I want you to put in this box the, the, the commands that I gave you that you did not live up to the commandments of God that I wrote out, put them in the box. And also what I want you to put in the box is the, the jar of food. Remember when I pulled you out of bondage and slavery in Egypt and I brought you out and you complained, but I fed you with manna from heaven. I want you to take some of that, put it in a jar and put that in the box as well to remind you of all the ways you did not trust me when I was setting you free. And then I want you to take the rod of Aaron, the rod that budded when, when the tribes started to get together and say they were gonna kind of overthrow, you know, my servant Moses and Aaron, and they were gonna take over, and that didn't go well. I think 14,000 people or so were killed around that time, so they put all their staffs in the middle, and the one that budded and produced flowers and also produced fruit, produced almonds, that would be the one to show you a sign that I am God and I am in control. Put that rod in here as well, because that wasn't a very good day for you as a reminder of my authority in your life. And he said, I want you to take that box, cover it in gold, put angels on both sides of it with wings spread out over it. And I want you to take that box and put it into the holiest room you can think of, the Holy of Holies. This is the Ark of the Covenant. As a reminder of all the ways that you failed me, but once a year, Choose a guy, choose a priest who, because of a sacrifice of blood, will be able to enter into the Holy of Holies and have him take that blood and have him cover that box of failure. And when that box of failure is covered, it actually becomes the throne room of God. It becomes the mercy seat of God. This is a picture of the blood of Jesus covering our human failure. Once and for all, past, present, and future, he says it's final, it's finished, it's done. You don't have to live that way so that even when the enemy 
want you to dig back into that box. You can say, "Uh uh-uh, because my God rescued me from that. He saved me from that, and he covered me with his sacrifice. Would you stand to your feet? I know I'm over a little bit. But with every head bowed, every eye closed, I feel like this is how we need to end our time, is asking God two questions. One is, God, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me about the life that I've lived? What are you saying to me about the sin that's in my life? What are you saying to me about my box? What are you saying to me about my relationships? Are they honoring you? Like, ask God right now and just in in a spirit of prayer, God, what are you saying to me? Because he's a speaking God and he will speak to you and he will show you. Search me, oh God. Test my heart. See if there's any way in me that is offensive to you and lead me in the way everlasting. So search. God, what are you saying to me? And then the next question would be, so what are you going to do about it? Do you need to end a relationship? Do you need to allow the sacrifice of Jesus cover you once and for all? Maybe you've never made that decision and this is why you're here. This is why you're watching online to allow the blood of Jesus to pay for that sin which you could not pay for and as a reminder listen you will be forgiven from it but you're going to have to still walk through life with the experience of it and so we desperately need jesus and the holy spirit to help us in this life lead us into relationships that honor god lead us into relationships that bring glory to him So what's he saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? And maybe your decision is to cross that line of faith, and I want to lead you in a prayer that does just that right now. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you'd say, Colby, when you pray today for someone to cross that line, to accept the payment of Jesus on the cross for my sins, I'm praying right along with you either for the first time or the first time in a long time. No one's looking around, but I want to see who I'm praying with. Would you throw your hand up wherever you are in this room? Yeah, yeah. And just so many hands. Just so many hands saying, Jesus, I need you to save me. I need you to redeem me. I need your sacrifice to cover me, set me free, be the Lord of my life, the Savior of my life. I'm going to live for you. That's awesome. You put your hands down. We're going to pray this with you out loud. I want to give you strength and courage as you do. Come on, church, lift it up. Heavenly Father today. Come on, say it. Heavenly Father, today, I give you my life. Jesus, thank you for covering my sin and my shame. Thank you for dying in my place. Come on, confess you as Lord and as Savior. And from this moment on, my sin has no hold on me because of what you've done for me. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast. We hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com yes. There will be some practical resources to help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate, go to elevatechurch.com give. Thank you for living generously. We hope you enjoyed this message. Have a great week.